So this evening I said I would speak about happiness in response to Palmer's question. And I thought maybe just to read the question again... uh, to make sure I answer it as well as I can. Uh, The books say say we should not seek happiness, and whenever there is happiness, unhappiness follows. Yet in the offering chant, it says, for the happiness this will bring us. You mentioned the duty of a nun or monk is to enjoy life, which is very encouraging, Yet, whenever I enjoy life, I am feeling happy at the same time. Is it all right to experience happiness, as long as we do not seek or desire it, and remain and maintain a certain awareness that it won't last? So, that's the question. I think I might begin with um, uh, telling a story, uh, sharing a story from the uh, scriptures. Um, It's uh, in a collection of teachings called the Sutta Nipata, which is one of the oldest collections of teachings of the Buddha, and it's called the Alawaka Sutta. And it's about this, um, when the Buddha was living in the house of a demon, uh, yaka called Alawaka, <laughs> and uh, it's difficult to know what these demons and yakas were like. Whether it was just that he had a really difficult landlord, <laughs> 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 or whether there was some kind of ghost or spirit there, uh, but it doesn't really matter because it's still a very helpful teaching. Uh, Basically, the, 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 this yaka uh, started making all kinds of demands on the Buddha. And first of all, he said, get out, recluse, leave this place. And so the Buddha gathers up his belongings and, and, and leaves. And then a short time later, he says, come in, come back in again. And so he comes back in again. And then a little while later, he says, get out. And uh, this goes on for two or three times, you know, the Buddha just responding uh, patiently to the yaka's demand. And then after the third time, uh, the Buddha says um, something like, uh, I refuse to obey your instructions, and you can do whatever you like with me. And the yaka said, okay. In that case, I'm going to um, take you by the feet and throw you across the river, or something like that. And uh, the Buddha said, I, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. <laughs> and he said, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. <laughs> and I want an answer. And if you can't answer, then I'm going to throw you across the river. So uh, he began to ask these questions. And I don't know why, but the first question that he asked and the Buddha's answer has always struck me as being very uh, useful. So the first question that the Yaka asked, the first set of questions was, um, what is the greatest wealth uh, for human beings to acquire in the world? 
what is the way of living that brings the most happiness? What is the sweetest of all tastes? And what is the noblest way to live? So the Buddha's response to these questions was um, confidence uh, brings the greatest wealth. And some of you may remember that earlier on today I spoke about another verse where it says contentment is the greatest wealth. So I don't know, but I, I find them both actually useful reflections. Um, the idea of faith or confidence uh, being um, a great wealth um, because it's the it's the faith faith or confidence that actually um, uh, awakens our interest in Dhamma, uh, supports our practice, makes us want to practice uh, Dhamma, and it sets us on the path and keeps us on the path, <clears throat> because, you know, we have the faith that this is something that is worthwhile, this is something that's going to bring benefit, uh, not only to ourselves, but also to others. That's certainly what keeps me going. Just the sense that that this is a really useful teaching and way of practice. So for me, you know, confidence is certainly the most um, uh, precious thing in my life. This confidence, this faith that keeps me doing the practice, liberating the heart gradually. And then this question, what brings the most happiness? What's the way of living that brings happiness? And the response to this one is um, uh, living, living, uh, living in accordance with Dhamma, practicing Dhamma, is what brings the most happiness. Um, then uh, truth is the sweetest of all tastes, and then the uh, noblest way of living is living with wisdom. So each of these, uh, you know, I could talk about at some length, but um, the question was about happiness and um, whether it's okay to to be happy, to experience happiness. Uh, and <clears throat> the um, interest in understanding uh, the different apparently contradictory teachings about happiness how how can they all be true? How can they all make sense? And uh, so on the one hand saying that, you know, uh, happiness is all very well, but uh, if you experience happiness, then suffering will certainly follow. Uh, how does that work alongside um, this teaching about the way of living that brings the greatest happiness? Is there an okay kind of happiness and a less okay kind of happiness? What is the kind of happiness that brings suffering and what's the kind of happy or that leads to suffering? What's the kind of happiness that leads away from suffering, that leads us out of suffering? Also, you may remember that, um, you know, fairly early on in the retreat, I spoke about the um, Buddha's uh, teaching that he gave and the teaching that he encouraged his disciples, the understanding that he encouraged his disciples to share uh, with the many folk for for their welfare and happiness. So it seems that there is a a teaching that uh, conduces to, to happiness, to well-being, as opposed to the kind of happiness that is followed by suffering. And then the... Um, <clears throat> yeah, so...
what the Buddha, um, at least my under, my sense of what the Buddha um, recognized was that, uh, in fact, selfishness uh, uh, um, you know self self-seeking um, the kind of happiness that comes from a selfish intention um, is short-lived uh, the um I spoke earlier on today about the gratification of, of sensual desire. And um, certainly most, if not all, of, well, no, most of humanity is concerned with um, uh, satisfying, gratifying sensual desire of one kind or another. Uh, food, sex, drink, and all kinds of other drugs, alcohol, all, all kinds of other pleasures, sensual pleasures. Um, obviously we need to eat and drink, and obviously if without sex none of us would be here. Um, so uh, in some ways this is part of, part of life. And yet uh, to really have a um, an appreciation of um, the suitable attitude to these things. Um, uh, learning how to find ways um, to fulfill the, the basic needs of humanity, but in a way that doesn't um, cause harm or exploit others, in a way that doesn't cause harm to ourselves. Any kind of you know, overindulgence is, you know, uh, doesn't doesn't conduce to well-being in the in the long term. I mean, in this culture, in this society nowadays, there's you know, uh, people can eat as much as they want, and many people eat far more than they need. This is a problem with obesity. Other people. Develop all kinds of neuroses around food and uh, anorexia and so on, which is a direct result of a uh, an unsuitable relationship, a kind of unbalanced relationship uh, to the pleasure of eating. And sometimes when people come to the community, they get very concerned because they seem to be very greedy. They seem to want a lot of food and. You know, it, then one has to kind of remind them, encourage them, and say, "Well, you know, if you haven't eaten for twenty hours, you're going to be pretty hungry." <laughs> so it's natural that when the time of the meal, time of breakfast comes, is you're going to um, have a particular um, sort of very strong interest uh, in in eating the food that you, that you have in your bowl. You know, this this isn't. Uh, Necessarily an unwholesome desire is a very natural um, response to hunger, you know, to want to eat. You know, when you're very, very hungry, you want to eat. It's normal. Um, and also just to, to remind people who've entered into this way of life that it's okay to enjoy the food. <laughs> you know, you don't have to uh, find it uh, repulsive or disgusting or... Um, anything like that but you know to enjoy the food but the um concern is to appreciate the, the limitations to, to have it in its proper perspective you know, we eat for the welfare and nourishment of the body you know, to, to, as a way of caring for the body and you know it's fine to to enjoy it it's fine to to find it pleasurable Obviously, there are pleasures that um, can be harmful. Sort of, 
alcohol, drugs, these kind of pleasures that you know, are some things that you know, many people um, indulge in and rely on for their uh, a kind of happiness that they experience um, as a result of taking these things, sort of kind of highs, delight, or, or just, or else the kind of sense of um, losing our inhibitions. You know, you know, many people perhaps are, are shy and inhibited and you know, have a few drinks and will pee, have a great time, and then a hangover. <laughs> or else have a great time and do and say all kinds of things that they later on regret. And so these are some of the ways that um, we can see that a certain kind of happiness um, is not um, long-lasting, um, doesn't uh, support well-being, doesn't um, uh, help us to develop those qualities that um, support well-being. If we become dependent on these things, there's a diminution in in self-respect. Um, you know, I remember when I used to smoke cigarettes many, many years ago. Um, the sense of, you know, I certainly found it pleasurable, even though it didn't. You know, I, I was often quite ill. Well, not often ill, but I, you know, used to get a lot of colds and coughs. Um, as a result of that habit, and um, cost a bit of money, although not nearly as much as it costs nowadays. I stopped smoking when cigarettes were 35 pence a packet. <laughs> that was a packet of 20, big ones. And I used to try to stop, and because um, I knew it wasn't very good for me, I knew it'd be good to stop. And you know, just recognizing how difficult it was to stop, this sense of dependence uh, on on the, you know, the nicotine, the drug, and just noticing how I didn't like myself very much. I didn't have much self-respect when I was conscious of this uh, dependence. And even though it kind of made me happy, it sort of rel relieved a kind of tension that I was experiencing, kind of unease, um, a temporary respite, but it, it, it wasn't a, a lasting sense of satisfaction. There are, of course, other pleasures that are, uh, um, one could call them the more, more wholesome, like the pleasure of um, being with people that one loves, one cares about. And uh, it's useful, you know, in, 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 with this kind of happiness to um, approach it with with wisdom like the, 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 the fourth question like living with wisdom is the noblest way to live or living with Dhamma brings the most happiness because you know, like, uh, wisdom Dhamma is is a um, a proper appreciation of the way things are we could talk about samaditi right view which is just recognizing um, impermanence um, the unsatisfactoriness and uh, anatta, these these characteristics of all conditioned experience, and you know when we're not to say, you know, not in a kind of gloomy, negative kind of way, you know, we're having a great time, but it'll end. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was a kid, one of <laughs> my my father's favorite sayings, you know, if, if, you know, me and my brother and sister were having too much fun, getting a bit overexcited, my father would say, it'll end in tears. <laughs> uh, 
And I mean, we could say that about about the pleasures of life, about the the the, the, the wholesome pleasures. You know, even the wholesome pleasures. You know, that, that you could say, well, it'll end in tears because sooner or later there's going to be separation from what we love, what we enjoy. Uh, that's maybe true, but it can be helpful just to keep in mind that. Um, this is something that um, can't last. Appreciating the limitations of our human life. So, I might have spoken about this before. How with with my parents in you know the later years of their life, realizing that they were going to die fairly soon, and instead of uh, spending the whole time. Um, anticipating this and dreading this and wondering how on earth I would manage, just um, using the opportunity to um, enjoy the pleasure of being with them, uh, to use the um, knowledge of well, all of our mortality um, as an incentive to um, relate in a carefully, not to give in to um, irritation or anger, or if that ever happened, to make sure that I uh, made amends, you know, as quickly as possible. You know, so that um, there wouldn't be a lot of regret, remorse. Of course, sometimes we 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 don't we aren't able to do this, and uh, but as far as possible. To, to to relate with each other in this way that, you know, we never know when any one of us is going to die. Um, and to really celebrate the opportunity we have to, to be with each other, to be around our, our brothers and sisters in old age, sickness and death, our good friends, our companions on the path. So these are ways that we can in enjoy each other's company, but without getting lost in the um, uh, not forgetting that this is a um, a pleasure that has its limitations. In some ways, I find it actually makes makes the uh, delight just that much more intense. Uh, you know the sweetness that much more intense because um, there's a very strong sense of presence uh, that this understanding brings about. A really strong sense of appreciation of um, you know what we bring to each other. Of course, um, in relationship, it's not always uh, so sweet uh, because uh, we um, wind each other up, we press each other's buttons, uh, and sometimes there can be a very strong irritation. It's not that's not pleasurable. So recognizing that in our human existence there are uh, wonderful times and horrible times. And just really taking that on board rather than feeling that something has gone terribly wrong when we have a horrible time. Uh, tiffs, fallings out, disagreements. This is part of life. Uh, When we practice Dhamma, when we live according to Dhamma, there's a perspective on these things. Uh, when we take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, we find a, a, and 
really contemplate the Four Noble Truths, the, um, the way that we, we um, cause suffering to ourselves and the possibility of letting go of that, letting go of that suffering, ending that suffering. You know, we, we, we have, you know, when we live and uh, make our life our practice, then um, what arises, or what I've found has arisen for me, is a, a deeper kind of um, happiness, a deeper kind of peace, sense of self-respect, um, that is there even when things are pretty unpleasant, pretty difficult. Uh, the refuge in, in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is a, a kind of a, brings a kind of a peacefulness. The contemplation of change uh, is also helpful. You know, it, it can enable us to, to stay present, you know, to establish, to maintain a sense of presence, uh, whatever might be happening for us instead of continuously trying to make things all right, feeling that we've got to make things all right, otherwise they're not going to ever be all right, just seeing that you know, life as a human being entails times when things are all right and times when things are all wrong. And then they come all right again. And it's just how it is. And as we contemplate our existence, like over these days of retreat, you've had a chance you know, to to experience for yourselves, you know, all right times, you know, times when you felt peaceful, contented, um, a sense of well-being, and times maybe when things felt all wrong, you know, sort of feeling your practice was falling apart and it was never going to be all right. Um, but deep down, you know, as as you contemplate the the sense of refuge in 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 present moment awareness. Um, a gradual um, growing of the, the sense of knowing uh, that things change. This is, this is the nature of conditions. Having arisen, they cease. You know, so our practice is to get to, to really to know this uh, you know, right into our bones. So that even when things are difficult, we can maintain presence. Um, and in some strange sense, we can enjoy life. Not that we enjoy the horribleness of it. You know, nobody enjoys it when things are painful and horrible. And you know, there's a sense of disharmony among people. And only very strange people find pleasure in that. And I mean, there are plenty of pretty strange people on the planet. <laughs> Uh, but you know, once they get their act together, they'll see it like. <laughs> uh, you know, when you know, it's a kind of sickness. You know, people. You know, there are people who've had just terrible, terrible experiences, terrible upbringing, and you know, their view is uh, distorted. For the people here, they've had the good fortune to um, have circumstances in their lives that have made them, you know, all of you have had circumstances that have brought an interest in, in truth, a, a, um, an inclination to practice. It's already uh, a lot of work has been done that has enabled you to to see things in a um, a less distorted way. And of course, all of us have a measure of deluded thinking and not seeing things clearly, but you know, there's a basic fundamental uh, appreciation of, of these teachings. You know, so that um, the interest in well-being, one's own well-being, the well-being of others is is there. None of you are sadists. And perhaps there are sadistic tendencies that arise from time to time, but basically your your intentions are good, are wholesome. 
so we don't we don't like misery and we don't like to see other people other people um miserable there's a natural sort of compassionate heart um and there's also the capacity uh for presence even when things are difficult so when i um just to explain what I meant when I talked about the duty of a monk and nun to enjoy life, uh, this was something that um, arose for me after being um, you know, close to death at one point, just realizing um, sort of my mortality, which I hadn't properly appreciated before. Uh, there was always a sense of kind of putting things off, and then actually, when you realise your mortality, a sense of actually, you you got to get it together now. Don't hang about. Uh, and it was it was a kind of incentive to uh, be present for my life, uh, to appreciate it. And as far as possible to uh, transform suffering as best one could. And a lot of that is about presence. We appreciate things when we're present for them. So it's not that one enjoys the horrible things, but one is at least present for them. So it brought a kind of um, aliveness. The recollection of death brings a sense of appreciation uh, for the aliveness of our existence. Uh, And there's a kind of happiness in that. A kind of, uh, yeah. not passing up opportunities to do good, uh, to be generous, kind. Because as we as we do these things, as we experiment with doing these things, we begin to notice that they, they bring a kind of happiness, a different kind of happiness from the happiness of getting our own way, having things work out the way we want. Um... You know, there can be a kind of gratification in that. But if we've sort of put a lot of energy into getting things the way we want, and then we get them the way we want, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel a kind of, a sort of, hmm, so what feeling. You know, I've put all this effort into getting this thing. Now I've got it. So what? And if the effort has been at the expense of somebody else, you know, you've... um taken advantage or you've got something that you know that somebody else would quite like to have had then the happiness is is very um, kind of mediocre and there's a verse in the Dhammapada that talks about I don't think I can quite remember it but something like um, it's about going beyond victory and defeat and pointing out that, um, you know, if you win something, then somebody else is defeated, somebody else loses. And um, that the defeat, that the defeat brings um, a kind of unhappiness to it. And so the, the victory is, you know, not as, not as great as it might be. And something like happy are those who have gone beyond victory and defeat. Uh, so it's a little bit like it's to do with the equanimity I was talking about the other day, the sort of evenness in our lives, the appreciation of success and the appreciation of failure and just seeing that um, all of these conditions come to, come to everybody and um, neither of them, neither victory nor defeat, 
is a is um, kind of a lasting kind of happiness. Also, victory is not a lasting kind of happiness. Uh, defeat is not a lasting kind of misery. They're just part of the flow of life. So it can be interesting to contemplate the things that um, bring a real sense of, of blessing. And I see, like, there's a, a sutta, in fact, we'll chant it this evening, the sutta, the Mahamangala Sutta, the Discourse on the Greatest Blessings, which is a teaching that the, the Buddha gave um, about the things that bring blessing. And if we think about blessing, what do we, what do we mean by being blessed? And sometimes it can seem a little bit sort of religious to get blessed. <laughs> but we can um, just contemplate the things in our lives that bring a sense of a sense of well-being, a sense of gladness, a sense of joyfulness. That is uh, not at the expense of anybody else. It's a kind of win-win situation we're talking about. Uh, you know, where everybody is blessed, rather than just one person is blessed and the other person is unblessed. <laughs> yeah. And thinking about, uh, I spoke about the festival days, where, um, you know, people come to the monastery, they make offerings, and uh, they share the merits, they share the blessings with everybody there. So even if you've come along and maybe you didn't know that it was an, maybe you know, didn't know you were supposed to bring something or uh, you, you just brought something quite small um, and then other people bring bigger things. And uh, But the big, the people who bring bigger things, they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm offering this and uh, I'd like to, to share the blessings with all my family, my friends, my parents, my relatives, my deceased my ancestors, and all the people here. Everybody can share in the in the blessings of this occasion. And it's not it doesn't never feels like well, maybe it is sometimes an ego thing. It doesn't feel like an ego thing. That's that's not the idea of it. It's um in fact almost like a giving up, you know, because you might think, well I've offered all this so I should get all the blessings. It's all for me. I've made this great uh wonderful meritorious offerings and it's all for me I'm going to keep all this merit for myself but it's like uh, you know you do something really good and you share it it can be quite a difficult um, idea I think for people from a western background to really appreciate because it's so different from the way that um, we're used to um, doing things I remember years ago, um, I used to help with a newsletter. I mean, I was the editor for some time, but before that, I used to help Ajahn Sujita with a newsletter. And one time, he went away, and so I did it. I did it myself. And I remember, and it was an enormous amount of work in those days because we didn't have computers, we didn't have, um, you know, ways of sort of moving the text around and, and anything like that. You know, if if you made a mistake, then you had to kind of cut and paste, you know, with scissors and paste, <laughs> glue. <laughs> and I remember kind of making this newsletter one time, this one issue of the newsletter, and sort of, it was, it was a huge amount of work, and sort of using a ruler and a pencil and glue and so on, and then photocopying the whole thing with a photocopy that didn't work very well. And um, I remember the sort of feeling of really wanting to do it all myself. <laughs> so I could have the satisfaction of having produced this. I mean, it wasn't very wonderful, I have to say. <laughs> this sort of slightly tatty newsletter full of typos. Um, but I wanted to have done it all myself. <laughs> I wasn't particularly interested in the kind of praise or anything like that, but it was more just the gratification of knowing I'd done it all myself and the kind of reluctance to let anybody help me <laughs> because then I'd have to share it, <laughs> to share the satisfaction with them. Uh, and I think this is 
maybe I'm not alone in this. Maybe this is something other people recognize. It's a feeling of wanting to do it all yourself uh, so that you can have the, the, the gratification of having done it, having done this thing, as opposed to the sort of feeling of, you know, as many people as possible, yes, please come and join in, come and help, um, which is something that I've noticed, you know, particularly among the Asian uh, people who are connected with our monasteries, just this lovely sense of, you know, yes, yes, come and join in, the more the merrier. You know, we can all be part of this. We can all, um, you know, receive the blessings from this um, great undertaking. And so the festival days are always very joyful because everybody uh, can join in. And, you know, even if you've hadn't realized you had to bring something, that doesn't matter at all because you, you, you share in everybody else's offerings. Uh, and so everybody, as I says, a total win-win. And, you know, okay, the monks and nuns, we can't actually share in the offerings, but we, we share in the receivings. <laughs> and we also share in the kind of just a sort of general sense of gladness and blessing of the occasion. You know, our offering is our, our dedication to the practice. And you know, I think that's what, what people are, are happy to, to support. And so... You know, it is, it, it, it works um, both ways. Um, you know, for us, we have to learn how to receive, which, you know, for a, for a, so an independent Westerner, you know, totally self-sufficient Westerner, Western person is, is actually not so easy <laughs> to, to learn how to be totally vulnerable, totally dependent. So, um, this is something to contemplate, the kind of, the, the, the happiness um, th that's not uh, dependent on having a lot of things or getting what we want. Um, it's the happiness of acting unselfishly, you know, uh, sharing what we have, serving. Another, you know, if 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 one doesn't have a lot of material wealth. Um, material possessions to, to give to other people or to share with other people, then just um, giving our time, giving our skills, um, you know, supporting, helping, you know. You know, these are all ways of, of generating uh, a sense of happiness. We have to be careful, though, with that, because uh, we can be greedy for that as well. You know, I, I mean, the thing that precipitated the very serious illness I had was actually a kind of a, a greed for doing things, you know, to serve. You know, I just wanted to give, 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 and uh, burnt out, basically. It was too much, too much for this body and mind. It couldn't, it couldn't handle the demands that I was putting on it. So this is a really important thing for us to consider. You know, this this generosity, which is a, a beautiful quality. It, it's lovely to, to give. It's lovely to serve. Um, and it needs, even that needs to find its balance. Because if, um, uh, you know, if we're greedy about it, if we do too much of it, then we end up with nothing left to give. I remember when I you know, was doing too much, just a sort of sense of, you know, feeling that one ought to be giving, and yet just there just wasn't anything there. The sort of the heart was like a kind of shriveled up little prune, that, you know, and I would try and I would do the right things, I would say the right things, but there just wasn't, there wasn't um, that sense of blessedness. There wasn't that sort of sense of fullness uh, that comes with when we think of what what being blessed is—a sense of blessing. This giving was coming not quite from the right place. I realised actually that afterwards that it was actually giving because I thought that that was the way to get accepted. That was that was what one had to do to be acceptable, to be accepted. One had to give, one had to do things. Um, so it was like winning one's uh, acceptance. And uh, 
saying to somebody this morning, one of the things that was most helpful was after, you know, after after the illness, as I was recovering, somebody told me what um, a good friend had said, which was basically, you know, I don't care if she never does another newsletter, if she never gives a talk, if she never does anything, I just want her to be well. And that was really touching, the sense that actually we are valued just for who we are. We don't have to earn it. This kind of assumption that I think is something that maybe some of us are brought up with, the sense of having to earn our place, having to pay our way. Almost as though if we don't do our bit, we won't be, you know, we've got to do our bit. So it's coming from a kind of um, um, a misunderstanding. Because I always was curious, because I was never really happy, even though I was doing all these good things and living a virtuous life. (laughs) All the things that were supposed to bring blessings, but I knew that there was a kind of something not quite right in my attitude. And... uh, it was because I had forgotten to include myself in all beings. You know, I was very good at saying, may all beings be well, may they be free from suffering. <laughs> and it was kind of almost as though I was saying, may all beings except me be well. <laughs> and the kind of, uh, the wrong assumption that if I do enough of that, then somebody else is going to do that for me. The kind of bargaining in there. And realizing that actually, Chanda Siri, that's not right. You have to include yourself. May all beings, including this being here, including this being here, may all beings be well. May they be free from suffering. May they be blessed. May they be happy. Including this being here. And uh, that made all the difference. In fact, not only did I include this being here, I actually decided that this being here had to be number one. First and foremost, this being here. (laughs) May this being here be well. May this being here be free from all suffering. That might sound a bit shocking to some of you. (laughs) But having, turning it around like that, um, rather than... It didn't make me selfish, I don't think. You might disagree. <laughs> but it rather, it, it, um, it supported a sense of, of, of blessing, um, a sense of happiness, a sense of well-being. I was attending to this one. That way, all of the other things in my life that I was doing... All of the kind, unselfish actions, the the virtue. I mean, I'd been keeping precepts for decades. You know, my following my nuns' rule for decades, serving the community for decades. All of that then began to generate the kind of blessings um, that I kind of realised were missing before. So it's a kind of paradox, really that in some ways we have to actually put ourselves first. Um, But having done that, then the other things can begin to bear fruit. You know, so what is for my welfare? You know, having good friends, you know, like living in in monastic communities, very, very good friends. I mean, we don't always like each other or get along, but they're very good friends (laughs) because they're practicing. Their commitment is to liberation. Um, and that's, you know, those are the best friends. Uh, you know, sometimes we don't get along. Sometimes something that can happen that some of you might have noticed is that they actually like act as mirrors. You know, so maybe they don't say anything. Maybe they don't do anything in particular. But if we're a little bit off, just their stillness, their quiet, their presence, lets us remember, lets us see that. You know, we don't have to admit that we've seen it, <laughs> but it's it's a really helpful thing because all of us are interested in clearing away the rubbish, in purifying the heart. That's what we that's what we want more than anything else. 
We want to see these things clearly, even though it hurts sometimes, because it's it's like a um, wearing away of the ego, and the ego doesn't want to be worn away, not one bit. The ego wants to exist, to be important, to be appreciated, loved, and so on. And so when we actually um, see that, it, 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 there is a bit of an ouch, but it's a, it's a it's a good ouch. It's like when um, somebody like doing shiatsu gets the gets the pot the spot or reflexology. I mean, have, probably some of you have had that. That is agony, because what they're doing is they're getting the spot where there's a kind of build up of of um, crystals or some kind of impurity, and they work at that, and then it it releases. In the same way, these mirrors, living in a hall of mirrors, they kind of show you things where there are these ouches, but then there's the letting go. And that brings a lot of joy, a kind of gladness. Um, so, um, like the first of the blessings that we'll chant about is is living with, with uh, having good companions, having good friends. Um, I forget how they put it, but anyway, that's... that's and avoiding people who are... Um, not going to support us on our journey, who are going to pull us away from 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 the path. Um, you know, obviously, if we're talking about members of our own family, then that's a different thing because we have a a particular relationship with them. We can't um, just avoid them. Um, but and in fact, you know, we, there, there can be. Um, uh, A sense of um, happiness at being able to support them um, to um, live more skillfully, perhaps, or even just knowing that through our own effort that that has a can have a beneficial effect on those around us. So, having good friends, this is something that we can contemplate um, in terms of our own life as a source of blessing, as a source of gladness. Um, all of you on the retreat, you haven't been talking very much. <laughs> and yet there's a sense of fellowship that has built up over these days, isn't there? And, uh, you know, my sense is that, you know, if you meet some other time, you'll be said, oh, remembering that retreat. Ah, yes, we practice together. A sense of gladness, a sense of fellowship. So associating with the wise, you know, with people who have a, a skillful aspiration for their lives. That's, that's, that's the number one blessing, the first blessing. And then having um, you know, a suitable place to live, having suitable um, work that doesn't involve exploitation or harming of others as far as possible. Um, having uh, developing skill in certain fields you know, so that you know, we, we do our whatever our chosen profession is with skill carefully cultivating um, speech really working at um, developing skillful speech habits transforming our habits of speech um, contemplating of the teachings um, there's a there's a lot of them, and we'll chart them, and then you can you can look at them in the book. Um, but all of these things, these are things that we can um, uh, de- develop in our own lives um, as a as a kind of a source of happiness. And sometimes people are you know particularly Western people can be a bit little bit. Um, uh, dismissive of the um, Asian concept of like making merit you know, generating merit doing good things to, to make merit and things sort of think well you know that's uh, that's a bit materialistic isn't it you know, sort of like building up a spiritual bank account sort of <laughs> you know, count, counting your merits making lots of merits and you know if you do a demerit if you do something not so good then you make more merit so you can counterbalance that. <laughs> Or you make lots and lots of merit, so you can then go away and do lots of not such good things <laughs> and not get too kind of um, overdrawn in your merit account. <laughs> uh, that's one way of looking at it. But there's another way of looking at it, which is actually just really um, noticing the effect of um, wholesome speech and action in your lives. 
I mean, some of you are just beginning practice, so it may not be quite so obvious yet. But those of you who've been practicing for a number of years, uh, my sense is that there is, you know, although maybe you have your days when your mind is all over the place and, you know, maybe you do make a mistake, you say something not so good, or maybe something happens and you find yourself, you know, uh, uh, you know, swatting a fly because you're irritated by it or... Uh, you know, doing something that's that's not you know not quite so harmless as you would like to be. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you know our precepts get a little bit grubby. Um, but basically, um, reflecting on your life and the fact that your aspiration has been towards living in accordance with Dharma, towards keeping as best you can the precepts. You know, when you reflect back on that, there's a sense of of gladness. And rather than sort of following the Western way of saying, oh, well, it wasn't really very good, I haven't really done very well, I could have done better, sort of getting caught up in self-disparagement, actually to allow yourself to make much of the goodness of your life. It's a resource. So this sort of building up of goodness, of cultivating blessing, is, is like a resource. You know, and then when we reflect on our life, we can think, well, that, I didn't do too badly. That was okay. And there's a feeling of, of, of satisfaction, which is not like an ego thing, but it's like an, an, an inner, an inner kind of source of wealth and, and, um, a, a, and like spiritual blessing or benefit. <clears throat> You know, so when we when we avoid, you know, being selfish, mean, um, and um, instead, you know, try our best to be generous, um, kind, unselfish, and to you know, to restrain if we have a, you know, if we feel upset or, you know, when we feel a bit grumpy and maybe not very well. I mean, I notice that if I'm not feeling very well, I have to be very careful. Um, around people because, um, you know, sometimes I can do or say things that are not, not, not as nice as I would like them to be. You know, even the simplest things of, you know, feeling too hot or too cold <laughs> can, um, you know, unsettle us in some way, bring <laughs> us off balance. So it's really important that we learn how to take care of ourselves. And if we take care of ourselves, then we can support others in a good way. There's a story of acrobats, some of you might have come across. These two acrobats, and uh, the kind of chief acrobat says to the, his assistant, you know, come on, he's called Frying Pan, which is a rather funny name. That's the translation they give. So come on, Frying Pan, climb up onto my shoulders, and then you can climb up this pole and do this incredible balancing thing, and... If you look after me, I'll look after you, and that's how we're going to earn our fortune. We'll go around and everyone will be very impressed by our act, and we'll make a lot of money, and that'll be good. And the uh, assistant said, mm -mm, I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think the better way is that you look after yourself, and I'll look after myself. I'll take care of this one. And that is the way that we'll um, be successful. And then the Buddha, speaking about it afterwards, said, well, actually, in some ways, the assistant was right. So how do we look after ourselves? How is it that looking after ourselves, we look after others? By developing, by cultivating the foundations of mindfulness. Being present, basically. And is there a way that looking after others, we also look after ourselves? And the response was, by developing um, the Brahma-viharas, kindness, compassion, joyfulness, serenity, patience, these kind of qualities with each other. That's how we care for our own heart, just contemplating bringing forth these qualities. So these are some things that we can contemplate on the theme of happiness and um blessing in our lives um, and I hope that's gone some way to answering your question <laughs>
Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.